0: Welcome to the book club interview. My name is Scott Hollister, your host. Today we have Mark Ferguson. Mark is a successful rental property owner, fix and flipper, and real estate agent. Mark bought his first rental property on his own in December of 2010. and Mark bought rentals with partners prior to 2010, and now he has 19 rentals. He has fixed and flipped over 150 houses since 2001, and has been a real estate agent since 2001 as well. Over the years, he has learned the best way to find rentals, get great deals, manage properties, finance properties, find great markets, and build wealth with rentals. In his book, Mark gives you all the information you need to be a successful rental property investor. Mark also started Invest4More.com, a real estate blog with over 35,000 subscribers and millions of visitors. He is known for his straight-to-the-point writing that is easy to understand and full of insight. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Mark. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited as well. You put out a lot, a lot of great content, you, multiple books you've written. Um, we just read Rental Property Empire, and and that's our goal for, I'm sure, you as well as our listeners. So um, thanks for coming on the show. No,
1: appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. And yeah, hopefully we can shed some insights, help some people, and and, and yeah.
0: Definitely. Yeah, it's a goal for today. So uh, let's jump right into it. So I have a set of questions um, outlined from your book. Uh, I definitely recommend it. I tell people all the time, you know, books are, I hope no one finds how valuable books are because the price per book is just going to skyrocket through the roof. So, you know, for (laughs) 15 to $25, you can get inside the mind of a successful real estate investor, such as yourself. So uh, my first question is, how will rental properties help you retire faster than other investments? Um, Yeah, I I think
1: rental properties have a tremendous amount of advantages. You know, I used to invest in the stock market, and it kind of drove me crazy because I had no control. Um, You know, it's like no matter how good of a stock you invest in, if the entire market drops, like that stock's going to go down with it too. So I just felt, you know, like things weren't going as well as they should be. And um, when I started buying rentals, even though I'd been in the real estate industry for quite a while, like it was surprising how many agents and people – did not invest in real estate and actually kind of discouraged you. So, um, but it, once I got into it and I started buying a few, I just realized, you know, how amazing they were for retirement. And I think um, there's a, a few key major components. And the first one is cash flow. Um, about every rental I buy, you know, made from four to five hundred dollars a month after expenses. That includes accounting for maintenance, utilities, vacancies, you know, property management. And that lasts for the rest of your life. So it's not like, you know, with the stock market, you're kind of hoping you save enough money up over 20, 30 years or whatever it is. And then there's enough left over to last you while you retire, but you don't really know how long you're going to live. And hopefully you don't live too long, which is a really horrible <laughs> thing to say and run out of money. Um, With rentals, you know, that money, you kind of know what you have coming in every month. You know, there'll there'll be some differences if you have to do an eviction or some problems with tenants, but you kind of have a really good idea of what that income is. So that's one of the things I really loved about them was kind of, okay, if I just, you know, add another rental property, I know how much income I'm adding this month. And that's pretty much going to last me forever. And it's actually going to go up over time too, because, you know, eventually you'll pay off your loans Rents will increase with inflation, so it's a natural hedge against inflation. And um, there's just other advantages, like tax advantages are huge. You know, rental real estate has some of the best tax advantages of any investment. Almost all your expenses are deductible or depreciable over time. Um, You can actually make money on a rental and not pay any taxes on it because of depreciation. So that's a really cool thing. And then the ability to leverage real estate is huge too. So, you know, you can leverage stocks a little bit or other investments, but there's really nothing easier to get a loan on than real estate. And getting, you know, 20, 30-year amortized loans, low interest rates compared to other investments, you know, it's just a huge advantage to be able to buy more rentals and invest, you know, get a better return from the money you have because you can leverage it and just keep increasing your returns over time.
0: Those are some amazing benefits. And I think you bring up a really good point in the beginning. You said after tax or after expenses, after CapEx. And, and that's very important, because I think you know, when we start investing, we look at, oh, my mortgage is only 1,000 and I'm renting 1,500 bucks, that's 500. But you you clearly you know have broken that down and told the readers that this is actual cash flow after these. So can you shed some light on that when you first started out? Yeah, no,
1: that's a great point. Cause a lot of people say, Hey, yeah, like you said, you know, my rent's 1500, my mortgage is a thousand, I'm making 500 bucks a month. And that's simply not true. It's really not even close to being true because you know, even if you completely remodel a rental, which I do on most of them, or even if you buy a brand new house, you're still going to have maintenance issues. Tenants will, you know, they'll mess up things once in a while. <laughs> You'll have tenants who trash properties once in a while. Even if it's brand new, you're going to have some maintenance issues. Like you said, there's going to be CapEx stuff, you know, roofs or um, furnaces, hot water heaters over time. You you know, you can't replace every single thing in a house when you first buy it. So there's going to be expenses over that time that you have to account for. And, you know, I think it, a lot of it depends on how old the house is, what kind of shape it's in. But, you know, 5 to 10%, maybe even 15% of your rents should be accounted for for maintenance um, based on the type of property the condition and then vacancies too you know no matter how awesome you are at managing your properties you're gonna have vacancies you're gonna have a great a tenant who has to be evicted Um, if you have enough properties it's gonna happen over time so you have to account for that as well and then like i said you know property management fees Um, I managed my properties myself in the beginning, but over time, you know, I'm just like, it wasn't worth my time. I hired a property manager and then you'll have other, you know, you'll have property taxes, you'll have insurance. Um, there could be HOA dues. There's a lot of things you need to account for. So, um, a lot of the properties when I was buying residential here in Colorado, I was renting for 12 to 1300 a month and my payments were four or $500 a month. So there's a really big spread there between my rent and my mortgage payment.
0: That's a pretty good spread. (laughs) You still getting those today?
1: Uh, No, so so I ended up buying, was it 16 rental, residential rentals from 2010 to 2015. And the market in Colorado skyrocketed. I mean, our our median price went from 110,000 to 300,000 right now in my area. So prices almost tripled and rents did not keep up with it. Mm -hmm. So I was looking to either buy in different markets. I looked at Florida, Milwaukee, some other areas that have good cash flow. But in the end, I ended up switching to commercial. So I bought four commercial properties last year that had similar cash flow. And then I bought a bigger um, 68,000 square foot commercial building this year, which is where I'm starting my new real estate brokerage and part of that. So I kind of made the switch from residential to commercial. And you know that there are downfalls to rentals. If you're in san francisco if you're in new york you know it's going to be really hard to cash flow on anything and you might have to invest out of state or be creative with the type of properties you buy
0: oh that's great um now we talked about the positives. so what are some risk of investing in rentals
1: um you know there's risks in everything i've tried to kind of outline you know my strategies how i've tried to downplay those risks as much as i can or you know you know not eliminate, there's always going to be risks, but try and make things as safe as possible. I think one thing that you can do, whether you're buying a house for yourself, a flip, whatever it is, is get a really good deal. So, you know, when I buy a rental for like when I was buying them, I might pay $100,000 for that rental. Well, it was actually worth 150 dollars $170,000 once we put a little bit of work into it. So I had built-in equity in that house as soon as I bought it. It takes work, it takes a lot of effort to find those deals, but when you do that it eliminates a lot of the risk. Yes, the market can go down, um, you can lose your equity, but if you get a really good deal um, you should be able to weather it and the same with cash flow. If you have a lot of cash flow built in, yes, rents can go down, you might have some vacancies, but you should have enough you know, room in there to lower rents and still weather the storm and be okay with it. Now, if you're really pushing the envelope, you know, trying to get as much, you know, as many loans out there as you can, Uh, 90% equity, which which is almost impossible with um, traditional banks. We've got like private money lenders and stuff who are lending you all the money and deals and you're you're paying full retail value. Um, If things go down, it can hurt really bad. And that's how Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people got hurt in the last crash. Um, But I know a lot of investors who went through the last crash with rentals and did just fine because they had the equity, because they had the cash flow and they didn't have to sell them. So I think another thing that people really need to look at when investing in rentals is their cash reserves. Um, You know, if you've got $20,000 to buy a rental property and you spend all 20,000 of that on the down payment and you know, maybe a few repairs and you've got nothing left over, you're in a really risky position. You know, you need to have some cash reserves left over. Um, I like to say at least 5,000 is a bare, bare minimum you know, in case it takes a while to rent the property, or something happens down mm-hmm. the road, but um, really, you should have, you know, I, I say at least ten thousand dollar reserve cash um, in case something bad goes happen to eliminate. You know, yeah, if, yeah. if you're vacant for four months, you can't make house payments. That you're in a you're in a pickle. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, that's some great advice, um, and I loved how you broke it down in the book you know you talked about and this is just my take it sounds like you came from a really strong flipping background and moved into rental properties uh and how how did that shift you know change when you were investing for more flips and i understand you still flip but Mm -hmm. it sounds like you've got a strong foothold on rental properties
1: um yeah i mean what we were doing flips i started working with my dad right after college and he'd do a couple flips and then i really helped him ramp up that business and then I was also an REO and HUD listing agent. So selling, I mean, we were selling 200 houses a year at one point that were foreclosures, HUD homes. And I felt like I was making good money, but I had nothing to show for it. And that's where okay. I, I came to rentals. I was like, man, I need to invest my money better. I need it. and that's where I really discovered rentals was, cause flipping and being an agent, you know, that's not investing. That's like, it's a job. It's income mm-hmm. you're earning. So I kind of look at those avenues as ways to make money, and rental properties are the way I invest that money to build it to have it grow over time. So I've kind of tried to do all of them at once. Where you know we're not selling as many houses as an agent now because our market's better, there's less foreclosures. But then I started a team and eventually a brokerage. Um, you know we're flipping more now actually than before because there's been less rentals to buy, but. You know, I found a new avenue with commercial to invest in. So it's kind of just trying to balance those three aspects. And, and the blog as well makes some money too where I'm trying to earn quite a bit of earned income so that I can invest into the rentals and the rentals are really the investment vehicle I'm trying to use.
0: That's a great strategy, more income streams and, and you're funneling it into rental properties. So how do we as investors determine what a good rental property is?
1: Um, there's a lot of factors. So I mean, you know, a lot of it depends on what you want as an investor, what your goals are. You know, um, mm-hmm. are you trying to build an incredible, incredible, amount of wealth, or are you just trying to build, you know, some cash flow for retirement, or what it is you want? I think that, you know, a lot is determined by your market as well. So, like I said, if you're in San Francisco and have, you know, an 80-hour a week job and you don't have a lot of time, you know, you're gonna, your investment goals gonna be different than someone who's in, you know, like I said, Milwaukee, who's a mm-hmm. full-time investor but is trying to build as much cash flow as I can. And I think it all comes down to, you know, having said that the fundamentals of rentals for me are good cash flow, I want it to make money um, no matter what the appreciation potential is, no matter how good of a deal it is, I want it to cash flow every month. And that's why I stopped buying rentals in Colorado because that became almost impossible. Um, I wanna buy it, it usually at least 20% below market value I want that equity built into it, which is really cool because every time I buy a rental, you know, my net worth increases by, you know, twenty, forty thousand dollars. So that's really, you know, doesn't mean a whole lot unless you refinance the property, but it's cool to see yeah. it on your net worth. <laughs> yeah, it looks good on paper.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yep.
1: Um, and then, you know, I want properties to me that are kind of um, middle of the range. I don't usually buy real cheap rentals. Um, it's hard to finance properties if you're buying them for less than 50,000. Um, once you get above like $150,000 in value, that's when your rent to value ratios make it tougher to make money. So I've always had a kind of my sweet spot was kind of like the 80,000 to $120,000 single family home. Um, but like I said, you know, that's for me personally, other people have done awesome with multifamily, with big apartments. Like I said, I'm doing commercial now. so. Really I think you know, just have to look at the cash flow, the deal you're getting, you know, your ability to finance it, and um, there's a lot of different factors and a lot of different properties that can work great for rentals.
0: That's great. How do we get a great deal on properties? It sounds like you have a lot of experience, and you've you've been through multiple markets where it's easier to pick up rentals, and you shift your focus to to flipping if the market has flipping, and then the brokerage and having a team under you. Um, so I know this is a, a general question as well, but you look at buying right and and getting twenty percent under retail, so, and then you have your sweet spot of that eighty you know single family home price. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you look you know, on the MLS or you, the direct market?
1: Um, there's all types of different ways to get a good deal. So we did 26 flips last year. So um, I'd say about half of those were from the MLS. And even though we're in Colorado and one of the hottest markets in the country, um, being an agent is a huge advantage to getting those deals. So there are still deals in the MLS, but it's hard. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, we do do direct marketing too. So we'll send out postcards and, and letters to absentee owners, estates, you know, things like that. Um, I've bought houses from Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, Zillow, um, the foreclosure sales. So there's a lot of different ways to get deals. Networking, you know, some agents or people I know will bring me deals because they know who I am and that I will perform if they bring me something. Um, so it's just over time, it's just kind of building one, um, you know, source at a time and just keeping all those open. Cause we'll have some years where like I said, MLS will be killer and we'll get lots of them. The next year there'll be like nothing on MLS. <laughs> so maybe it's direct marketing or, you know, yeah. something else where we're finding deals. So, you know, it used to be, we, we bought 90% of our flips from the foreclosure sales. And that was when there were 30 or to 40 of them were popping out a week there and now there's one or two going to those sales and it's almost impossible. So, um, just having
0: a diversified source of deals has, has worked really well for us. Well said, casting a wide net. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, this is a really tricky question, especially uh for the beginning investor, and I, I understand it gets harder as you, you scale up. So what's the best way to finance rentals, you know, even if you have more than four or even more than ten rental properties?
1: Yeah, I know that's kinda of why I first started my blog in the first place called Invest for More was a plan words for getting more than four mortgages with rentals. So Um, what I found when I had my fourth mortgage was, you know, I, I'd used a mortgage broker before for my other rentals and it was no problem. Um, so first starting out, you know, conventional lenders, big banks, if you've got good credit, good debt to income ratios, you know, you should be able to get financing on your rental through them. But once you have four mortgages, a lot of those big banks will flat out tell you, oh, you can't get any more mortgages, you know, Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, um, The truth is they just won't give you more than four. That's their internal policies. There's no law. There's nothing that says you can't have more than four mortgages. So at that point, you can count towards smaller banks. Um, There's still some conventional lenders who'll do up to 10. um, But you've got to have higher credit scores, more down payment. You know, It just gets tougher and tougher. And what I found was a local bank who helped me tremendously with getting uh, more rentals. And I have 50. Teen mortgages with them right now on my rentals, and then I have probably you know seven um, loans with them on my flips, too, and they've just been a tremendous resource, and the reason local banks can be more flexible is a lot of times they'll lend their own money, they won't sell it on the secondary market, which the big banks usually do, and that gives them more flexibility about how many mortgages, the terms, rates, all of that. So um, I like to call them portfolio lenders because they portfolio their loans, meaning they keep them, they don't sell them. And really, um, a lot of them are local. A lot of them are only up for one state or a couple of states, so you have gotta do some work to dig to find them. Mm-hmm. And then in the last couple of years, there's been some big national lenders who have popped up as well just for rental property owners and a lot of times they don't even care as much about credit debt to income ratio. They're just looking at the property, but they'll have a little higher rates um, than some of the local banks. But there, there are definitely a lot of options out there now for for uh, rental property owners.
0: I hear this common theme of relationships keep coming back, um, you know, through the conversation and, you know, getting lead flow and people knowing that you have that reputation to close and with the banks and getting financing, you have that reputation. So how hard was that to build that reputation with that local bank at first? Did you just go knock on the door and say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. No, it, it was, um, it wasn't super easy because
1: I, I think it's before I bought my first rental. Um, Someone had suggested this bank. Said, "Oh, they're great for investors. Go talk to them." So I went and talked to this guy, and I sat down, and he did not give a rat's whatever about me. (laughs) He's just like basically blew me. I'm like, "Hey, I get a loan." He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Maybe." He's like, "If you transfer all your accounts over here, give us all your tax returns, do all this stuff, we'll consider it." I'm like, "Oh, okay." And then at that point, I hadn't bought my first one, so I didn't need them yet. Mm -hmm. And then I bought, you know, a couple, and I'm like, "Oh man, I, I." I should probably go talk to him. Someone's was like, don't talk to that guy. Talk to this person at that bank. So I went and talked to a different person at the bank, and she was just amazing. She's like, oh, yeah, we can help you. And like, yeah, you might have to move some accounts over. Um, they looked at my accounts. They approved me in like five days or something crazy. Wow. You know, and... I was like oh, that's are you sure we're approved like oh yeah we're good to go I'm like no don't you need and like shit no nope, I'm like okay <laughs> that's and good. Um, I think part of it helped that I had um, already bought some rentals so she saw hey I'm serious cuz there's a lot of investors out there who you know want to invest but never actually do anything mm-hmm. and I think some bankers some agents you know are like uh you know another guy who's never going to buy a house or mm-hmm. so you have to be prepared when you go talk to a bank you can't just show up and expect them to do everything for you and figure out what you need. You've gotta be prepared either have experience, buying already, and if you don't, you know, do some research, bring them a potential deal or a potential rental, show them you've put some work into it that you've prepared, and that goes a long way to, to
0: getting your foot in the door. Those are some great tips of building relationships with some local banks. <laughs> um, so what are some, some ways to invest in rentals with less cash? I hear it all the time, you know, just starting out, I'm, I'm sure it's really hard to save a lot of capital. Uh, do you have any you know, tips or tricks that you use when you were just starting out?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, when I when I bought my first rental, like I said, even though I was making good money, it still seems like the more money you make, the easier it is to spend it, and it goes away very quickly. <laughs> yeah, it goes but um, quick. <laughs> you have a family, you get married, all kinds of stuff goes on. But I actually um, refinanced my personal house was how I got the down payment for my first rental. And then it kind of ballooned from there, and I've used quite a few refinances in different ways to keep building up cash. But for other people, I mean, there's so many different options out there. One thing I wish I would have done from the beginning was use kind of my owner occupancy status to buy a rental, move, buy another one, move. And it's, you know, there's huge advantages for people who live in a house. You know, you can put 3.5% down with FHA. If you have any kind of veteran you know status or in the military, you can put 0% down with no mortgage insurance. It's an amazing benefit. Um, You know, there's USDA loans in rural areas. There's conventional loans with 5% down, some as low as 3% down. So if you're willing to live in a house for a year and then turn it into a rental, you know, you can buy, start accumulating, you know, assets for very little money. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that. I can understand why. It's not easy to move, um, especially if you have a family. But if you really want to take advantage of real estate, you don't have a lot of money, you know, there's sacrifices you're gonna to have to make. So that's that's definitely one of the best options. Um, partnering with people can work, but that can be tricky with rentals, still possible. I'm um, getting private money loans again, but that's, you know, tricky too with no experience. It's kind of like, hey, you know, people don't want to lend to me if I don't have experience, but then how do I get experience if nobody will lend to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chicken before <laughs> the
0: egg conversation. Yep, yeah.
1: yep exactly. Yeah. So um, the owner occupancy thing, is one of the best out there. House hacking, you know, you know, living in one unit while you rent out a couple others is a great way to get into it. Um if you do have a little bit of money, you know, the burr method, the buy, refinance you know, repair it, then once you've had it for a little while, refinance it, take your money out, keep doing it over and over again. So there are a lot of strategies out there. Um and there's the straight, you know, put 20% down too. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I've done a lot of refinances That have helped me build bigger because you know I've got really good deals. That's the key to using the refinancing strategy. You can't buy a house at full retail, and hope it goes up twenty percent in value. You've got to buy a house, you know, twenty percent less in value, and then refinance it later on.
0: Correct. You bake that equity in when you buy, and that's that's it's that common theme that you keep coming through, Um, and that. I think is is truly the best way. I started out with um, two single family homes on the same lot. Rented out one, got a roommate in the other with the FHA loan. So I can echo that same you know process. <laughs> it helped a lot. It did because I was able to pull a HELOC for the next property after I paid down a little bit of the the equity and mm-hmm. and use that for the bird method that you mess. You know, just keep refinancing and keep repeating. So it yep. helped a lot. Helped. Exactly,
1: and, and and plus at the same time you're building a track record. And showing people, hey, you know, I know what I'm doing. I can do this, which makes everything so much easier.
0: It does, and that's that relationship. At first, it was it was hard money, you know, twelve percent, three points, and then all of a sudden, you know, your friend's mom come knocking, and she wants eight to ten percent. <laughs> and she's excited. You're excited, so helps out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, so once we own the properties, do you have any uh, tips on how to repair and maintain them correctly?
1: Um, yeah, I mean you know, there's a lot that goes into screening tenants first. You know, that's the, the main thing is really making sure you've got good tenants in there, taking your time, checking credit, checking background. Um, that's why I started using property management just cause I wasn't doing a good job of it myself cause I was so busy with other things. So, and then once, yeah, once you get them in there, you know, we've always kind of had a strategy of sending someone in there once a quarter to replace air filters for furnaces, check the smoke alarms, check the carbon monoxide detectors. At the same time, they can look around the house and say, "Hey, is it you know, is it clean? Is it nice? They have pets in there they're not supposed to have." So that's a really good way to kind of keep track of things and um, make sure the tenants are maintaining them, repairing them. Um, with rentals, you know, you don't have to make them really really nice. You don't have to replace every single thing in there to rent them, but you still need to make them safe. You know. We always have made sure the electrical systems, the furnaces, um, plumbing is all you know safe and works right. Um, and then you know something else to consider too is, it's weird because some of the biggest problems we've had have been from tenants we've had for a couple of years. Like they start out really well and then something happened in their life where they lost their job, they had some kind of other issue and they went downhill, um, stopped paying rent. Sometimes they messed up the property pretty good. So one thing I've kind of, really started to do is if we renew a lease, you know, I want to recheck their credit and recheck their job history and make sure things are still going okay. Because when you're, you know, you're getting a brand new tenant, a lot of times you're checking all those things, making sure they're, they're in good you know, credits go okay. You have enough money to pay for rent. But if you renew the lease three times, a lot of things could have happened in that time and you might catch a big problem if you check their credit, check their job history again before you renew that lease.
0: Great, now in terms of, I, I heard it uh, very briefly, so I, I used to be a I'm gonna do it all type of guy, and it sounded like you came from that same uh, path to, you know swinging the hammer in the beginning and then stepping out of the business. So how did that mind shift happen? Was there a certain amount of rental properties or were you just like, I, I can't juggle so much?
1: That, ha- that happened before I bought my rentals actually, because there's a fix and flip, I did all the work on myself, It was the biggest mistake I ever made in my life. I just, it was horrible. Um, I spent six months replacing the windows, the kitchen, the baths, the floors, the lights, um, everything. And when I was done with it, I realized I didn't save that much money because it took me so much longer than a contractor would have taken to do it. Um, The work wasn't as good as a contractor would have done it. And then I was spending so much time on that house that I wasn't selling houses as an agent. I wasn't finding new houses to flip. And so the opportunity cost was huge. Mm -hmm. So from that point forward, I stopped painting. I stopped doing anything. I'm just like, okay, that is not where my best use of time is. I'm going to hire that stuff out and I'm going to focus on finding deals, um, you know, selling houses, running my business. And so from the very beginning when I bought my first rental, i never did a thing to myself i always hired that out but i had to learn that from flipping that just my use of time and where i could better spend it was not doing the manual labor on houses for me
0: (laughs) smart man (laughs) (laughs) yeah now what's the best way to to manage rentals and find a property manager you said you were doing it yourself at first and then you made that switch out
1: Yeah, and you know, I was kind of lucky because I have a a team, you know, some agents on my real estate team, and so I had one of my agents start managing them, we trained them a little bit, and that transition was pretty smooth. But my my sister's been in the property management business, you know, I've been around real estate my whole life, so I've seen a lot of things a bad property management company can do. Um, You know, bad tenants, not collect rent, just let your property go downhill. Um, Just because you have a property manager does not mean you're in good shape. You have to have the right Mm -hmm. property manager. So one thing my sister always told me, which helped a ton when picking a property management company, was call them up and pretend that you're a tenant. So, you know, see, you know, find an ad or something, you know, if you're you're looking for a certain property management company and pretend you're a tenant. See how long, if they answer the phone, see how long it takes to call them back. See if they know about the property. Um, A lot of times you can learn so much from be, pretending to be a tenant, how they're gonna rent your property, how they're gonna take care of it, because a lot of property management companies won't even call back potential tenants, you know, um, mm-hmm. drive by the houses that they're managing already, because there's one property management company in town where you know you can pretty much pick out the houses that they are managing, because all the yards are dead, the roofs are bad, the houses just look horrible. Um, so, yeah, no, there's a lot, do your due diligence before picking a property manager, and yeah, yeah check out, you know, references, um, interview them, talk to a few different companies. Don't just pick one randomly and hope they do a good job for you.
0: That's amazing. Learning how to vet (laughs) property management companies. (laughs) What are the best exit strategies when it comes to buy and hold real estate?
1: Um, you know, that's a really good question. And when I first started buying my rentals, I basically had no exit strategy. You know, my plan was to hold on them onto them forever and just keep buying more and more, keep adding more cash flow, maybe refinance some here and there to be able to buy, you know, add to my portfolio. I did end up selling a couple of them and the reason was um, I bought one that was kind of an up-down duplex, a college rental, which was outside what my my little niche was, but things were getting harder to buy at that time and I did not like um, that, that, that rental, it didn't do well. I mean, it did great for me, I made money on it. I just didn't, it didn't fit my niche very well. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up selling it two years after I bought it for like 40,000 more thanks to our really hot market. So if you pick a really awesome market, that's one get. No. <laughs> <laughs> there <you laughs> <strategy. go. laughs> yeah, No, but, um, and then there's another one I sold that um, had an addition, had a really weird floor plan. It was always really hard to rent. And so when our market increased a lot, I just decided to sell those two and kind of take the money from them and invest them in more rentals. So really, I mean, my exit strategy has been to just accumulate properties and not really sell them, but maybe use the equity by refinancing to buy more and more. Because I figure, you know... You, you are taxed pretty heavily if you sell a rental. You know, you, you've got to recapture depreciation, pay capital gains. You know, if you do a 1031 exchange, you can avoid some of that, but that, those are tricky and not easy to, to do. So I just thought I'd keep them, and if you happen to pass away, then your properties usually transfer tax-free to your heirs. so that's been my,
0: my exit strategy. <laughs> Great, how important is it to stay in that niche? It, it seems like you stepped out of it, but then you step back in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty important. I mean, it's not horrible if you expand and and can figure out different markets to invest in or different areas. Um, For me, it just was, you know, so much easier to... Those single-family homes just worked so well for me for so long Mm -hmm. that I wanted to stay in those. And then I was kind of forced out of it because of our market. But then... um, you know finding commercial has been really cool too you know there's advantages and disadvantages but it's been really neat learning that business so i wouldn't say you have to stay in your niche you know if you want to jump from single family to multifamily or jump from you know single family to commercial you know i don't think that's bad you just have to be really well educated and know what you're getting yourself into just like with the college rental they take so much more maintenance and management than a single family home cuz your tenants are always moving You know, your tenants are young who have no idea what they're doing. They don't know how to, you know, live on their own very well. Um, There's a lot more management involved. So that's, you know, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people make really good money on college rentals, but they know what they're getting themselves into. So I don't think your niche is incredibly important as long Mm -hmm. as you're experienced with it, you know what to handle. Um, But, you know. I, I I think it might be, you know, if you have five different properties and five different markets and five different types, that could be a little tricky. But yeah, yeah I think it's okay to jump around a little.
0: Okay, good. But I think it was understand that you, you pointed out that to understand and get that education before you just, you know, step willy-nilly and just, oh, that, you know, follow the shiny penny, which. Yes. Well, yeah. yeah. Although I,
1: I've done that quite a bit. So, yeah, you know. <laughs> I think we all have.
0: <laughs> Um, so, any latest tips that you're using in a hot market? It said you got priced out of Colorado. Um, do you try to still focus on the, the flips? And if so, you know, do you have any tips for listeners on how to find those deals?
1: Um, yeah. So, like I said, you know, we're um, stopped buying rentals in 2015, residential rentals, and kind of took a year and a half off. while I, you know, I went down to Florida, looked at different markets, um, and then we really ramped up the flipping during that time instead of taking the money I was making from flipping to buy more rentals I kind of just bought more and more flips but I would say for flipping in a hot market I still never expect prices to go up you know for my profit I still okay. am very conservative want to make sure I have profit at today's prices you know things could turn things could change I don't want to be caught with you know 15 flips that are negative in equity. So we're very careful about what we buy, you know, try not to get caught up in that market. And then um, for the commercial rentals and things we're buying now, you know, quite a few of them have been, you know, off market properties, you know, they're not, I had a, I used commercial agent, even though I'm a a broker myself, I reached out and used a commercial agent because I wasn't as familiar with the market and the properties. And so he actually got me a pocket listing for the big property we have, which was an amazing deal. and just keeping my eyes open, you know, I think a lot of people ignored, you know, real small commercial deals around here that have been worked really well for me and made me a lot of money. So in a hot market, sometimes you have to just look a little harder, expand, you know, your comfort zone to find those deals. But there's still usually deals out there.
0: Good to know. Stay positive, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> no. Um yeah, so I've got a couple of bonus questions to to kind of wrap it up, but um, I just I I really recommend your book. I I love you know anything from the top build, building that rental property empire, you know, playing that real life game monopoly. Um, but from what I read from the book, it sounds like you've got quite the car addiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Is that your other passion?
1: Yeah, that's definitely one of my passions. It was a, a huge motivator for me as well to kind of build my business. It's just you know I'd have pictures of cars on my phone all the time, my screens and just kind of like imagining myself driving to work every day in a different car than what i had. So it was yeah. a, it was really cool. And then um yeah, in 2014 i ended up buying a Lamborghini Diablo, which is like a dream of mine since i was 6. And that was a crazy awesome experience and and then um yeah, since then i've i've had a few others. I bought a, a Lotus Esprit V8 twin turbo and um then i actually just bought a couple of weeks ago a 1981 aston martin v8 which was a dream of mine for years a lot of people don't know about those cars but they're super rare and cool and then i've got you know a couple other porsche 928 and old mustang 50 so um nice. yeah i have a bit of an addiction to cars <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's good um so what's the uh, biggest uh benefit and downfall from owning the lamborghini i'm sure it's all hyped up to what it is and And what was the first thing that you, you know, you said about it that was positive when you got it?
1: Um, Well, one thing that's crazy was just the mindset and the attitude about because I always wanted one and dreamed of having one. But I think, you know, kind of in the back of my head, I'm like, well, I'm never really going to get one. And then um, once I learned, you know, how to actually buy them and I started doing well in my business and I was like. Oh man, I could actually buy one of these. Like my world kind of flipped upside down. I was like, oh man, what are people gonna think of me? Oh, I'm just yeah. gonna be this big jerk with it. oh, what am I doing? And then I like <laughs> I had to stop and make, holy cow, like my attitude is horrible about this. So um that was kind of one thing I realized was just like, you know, how much my attitude affected uh my success and different things going on in my life. But once I got over that and I I bought it. Like people were really cool. I mean, people loved it. People are awesome. There's a few people out there who are, you know will be jerks about it, but for the most yeah. part it's been really cool sharing it, taking to car shows. Um it's allowed me to network with an incredible amount of people. I've met some really good friends, really successful, wealthy people from car shows, other people who have Lamborghinis. Um, you know, cuz it's like it's an older, you know, 99. It's not like a brand new Huracan or Aventador mm-hmm. where you know, a lot of time, not not there's anything wrong with that, where people, you know, aren't exactly huge car guys, they just want a Lamborghini yeah. when they buy those. Mm-hmm. And when you have an older one, you kind of attract a different group of people who are like kind of like more aficionados, like, oh, that's, that's cool. So yeah. um, I've met some really cool guys. Uh, one guy has 85 cars here in Northern Colorado, <laughs> including like 11 Lamborghinis. So um, it's crazy how that's worked out. And then at the yeah. same time, the car doubled in value since I bought it so that okay. hasn't hurt either so i mean there's there's definitely more maintenance and things that go along yeah. with those type of cars but again you know do your research know what you're getting into and uh it's yeah it's pretty it's pretty
0: fun that's <laughs> great so what's your favorite classic exotic car of all time and i believe you and jerry seinfeld sh- uh share the same answer
1: <laughs> um hopefully uh, yeah it changes once in a while but it's still got to be the mira the yep, lamborghini yeah. mira um and the Countach is close there but uh, yeah, and it, it, when I first wrote, well, when, when I first started my blog, I think the Mirror was like 300,000, you could get one. And now they're like a million and a half or two million.
0: It's crazy. So. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, though. Well, um, yeah. So, any uh, new car purchases coming up?
1: I don't have any plans right now. Like I said, I always yeah. wanted a Kuntage at some point. Yep. But, um, you know, they're still they're pricey and finding a good one's tough. And I just bought the Aston Martin, so I'm going to take it easy for a little while. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there you go. <laughs> Run out of garage space. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> yep, yep. So uh, do you want to tell listeners anywhere, you know, we could find more information about you? I know you've written multiple books. You've got a great blog. If you could just tell us, you know, where to find you, that'd be great. Yeah, no,
1: investformore.com is, is the best place. It's invest, like I said, the number F O U R m.o.r.e.com, and that was based off of getting more than four mortgages on rentals. Um, you can email me, mark at investformore.com. But yeah, we've got like 500 articles, I think, on the site. I've got a weekly podcast I do. Um, I have a ton of YouTube videos on my YouTube channel, search for Mark Ferguson or Invest for More. We try to do before and afters on all my flips and rentals. And then, um, yeah, my book's on Amazon. I think we have six paperback books, and three of them are in audio. So, books on agents, flipping, rentals, mindset, negotiating, all kinds of good stuff on there.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for being on the show today. I had a a blast. I learned so much from reading your book. And I hope the listeners go out and grab a copy and and find your other books as well. Oh,
1: thank you, Scott. It was a a fun time and glad you had me. And I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Mark. And that concludes our book club interview with author Mark Ferguson, who wrote the book Build a Rental Property Empire, the no-nonsense book on finding deals, financing the right way, and managing wisely. Mark does a great job writing his books and his content on investformore.com. I highly recommend you get a copy today if you want to build your own rental property portfolio. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, and check out our Facebook page at The Book Club Interview. That's it for today, and we'll see you next time.